It's hard to think of a sector the coronavirus pandemic did not affect. But thanks to innovative thinking and persistence, the beat went on for many industries and establishments, including cowboy technical services in Brooklyn. Case in point. Like a blackstone cloud, I came with a wall. That's the song Don't Hang the Moon from Emily Duff's latest album, Razorblade Smile. The album was produced during the pandemic at Cowboy Technical Services. Eric Amble and Tim Hatfield opened their recording studio more than 20 years ago. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, Eric and Tim share the story behind Cowboy Technical Services, how music production has evolved over the years, and what steps they took to make sure COVID-19 didn't silence the making of new albums. Eric Amble, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, George. Tim Hatfield, glad you're here. Thank you, George. Good to be here. So how did the two of you first meet? That was uh, quite a while ago. I was uh, I worked at a place called Media Sound, and the first time I met Eric, he came in with the Dell Lords one day to do an overdub, and I was just assigned to the afternoon session. So that's where we met, and eventually ended up running into the, each other on the street a few times. Media Sound was uh, one of those classic uh, multi-room studios, uh, you know where. I mean, they had several studios. Isn't that where the the Elton John November, you know, what's that record called? Elton John, it has a date, but that was recorded there. Lots of, a lot of great stuff in media sound. It was kind of studio where you'd run into, like, I met, uh, you know, guys from Humble Pie there, you know, like in the lounge, you just never knew what was going to happen in a place like that. But they had a lot of, uh, you know, Tim had to go through a real, they had a real education where uh, people learned, worked their way up from the bottom and learned every single job. And, you know, it was a really classic place. So what are your backgrounds? How did each of you come up in the music industry? Tim? Well, like uh, Eric was just saying, I started at Media Sound. And at first, um, there, I had already started working, but I, I finally got the job that I wanted. Because I'm originally from Texas, and I'd seen Media Sound on a lot of records. And I thought, I want to go there. I finally got a job there and um, started in setup. And then you became an assistant, and eventually you started to engineer. I was kind of late in the, in, at the time, you know, media was uh, started in the seventies and I was there in the mid eighties. And, you know, real estate and things in Manhattan changed the landscape of uh, recording quite a bit. But so I was there kind of at the tail end of media sound, but I still had to go through working with um, some of the, what I considered some of the best engineers that there were, you know, um, uh, Mike Barbiero and Mike Brower and these mixers that were big and still big today. Uh, So I got to learn a lot from them. And then like Eric said, you never knew what you were going to be doing and who you'd run into in there. Eric, what road led you to the industry? Well, uh, 
I always loved music and, you know, played music as a kid. And, uh, you know, my, I, I come from a musician background. Uh, and actually the first session I ever did in New York City was in 1980 at Media Sound when I was playing with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Uh, and we recorded in that big main room that was, that place was originally a church, right? Timbo? Yeah, it was originally a church. Yeah, um, and so I, I've been in bands my whole life. Uh, I was the original guitar player in Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And then I had a, my 80s band was a New York band called the Dell Lords. And uh, we made a bunch of albums. And I learned a lot about recording during that time. And I wanted to I, I really was interested in the producer part and uh, I've continued as a player and a songwriter, but I uh, have really focused on the producer thing. And I, I've been producing records since the uh, late eighties. So what inspired the two of you to get together to found a recording studio together? Oh, <laughs> well, for me, we, you know, we actually lived uh, in the East Village, right down the street from each other. So we ran into each other a lot. And we just talked. Um, we started working. Eric was producing and I was engineering. And we had a lot of equipment that we carried around to studio to studio. And we finally just thought, well, you know, we're not that far off having a studio. But one of the things was we were a lot of places we were going to like in the 90s things started slipping a little bit and a lot of gear didn't work and so we started getting frustrated so we thought you know we were always talking well when we have a place we're going to make sure the gear works all the time and things like that and so we that was i think that's one of the reasons we've been in business we just make sure our gear is always working right. I was going to ask that question. What do you feel sets Cowboy Technical Services apart from other studios? That's part of it. And uh, in my time coming up, you know, I recorded at some of the greatest studios in the world in uh, Los Angeles and New York, Nashville and London. And many of these great places you'd go in there and they had like, a twin reverb and maybe an organ and a piano. And it, and part of what we, when Tim was saying, we'd bring our stuff to these studios, we would bring equipment, but we'd also bring a lot of instruments. And uh, the instruments themselves can be really inspiring. You know, like if you're sitting there working with somebody and somebody goes, man, I had you know, this might be crazy, but I'd like to have an electric sitar on this song. And then we go, well, we've got one right here. You know, like, so we've, our collection of instruments, you know, we've got the basic food groups of different types of guitars and keyboards. And, uh, you know, especially in, in New York City, it's not the same as if somebody goes to a studio in Chicago they're going in their own car, they're loading up all their stuff, you know, whereas people, our clients, they're coming to the studio, 
they're taking the subway or an Uber, they might be coming with a couple of guitars and uh, relying on a, a lot of our uh, instruments beyond beyond the regular studio gear. What about your physical space? How would you say that sets you apart? Well, we had an experience uh, before we had our own place. Um, in the 90s, a lot of people were talking about Daniel Lanois and his setup down in New Orleans, which was a studio built in a house. And it wasn't the traditional setup where you had a control room for the technical people. And then the musicians were in this other room where they were all together. We had an opportunity to work out of a place that was in an old bank in Williamsburg and it was set up like that. It's very different. So, so now over the years, you know, we've been in business over 21 years and all of our places have been that open plan type studio where uh, like the engineer and the band are in the same room together. Uh, and it, we found it to be super creative compared to people all being in separate rooms and uh you know, pretty inspirational. Uh, it's a quicker communication. A lot of questions get answered before they even get asked, you know. So, uh, and over the years, as we went from our different locations, our, we've, you know, our rooms have sounded better. You know, our, our current place has a really high ceiling, which is very unique in New York City. And, uh, you know, I think that's different than most uh, traditional recording setups. How much would you say is different now compared to 20 years ago when you started? <laughs> well, you know, the obvious thing is the whole digital Pro Tools, you know, workstations came in. And, and well, that's another thing, too, because we offer a lot of analog gear still. And um, uh, the basics haven't recorded you know for what we do they haven't changed that much of basics in recording with the microphones and the mic preamps and everything you need to get into the DAWs you know your uh, digital workstation um that's so I it, it's changed quite a bit like the convenience of editing and everything but uh I think it, for the most part the basics have stayed a lot the same and you know, like I said, we're, you know, we've come from that older, uh, you know, from the analog world, and we offer that to people, and not everybody gets that these days, because a lot of people go in and you go, wow, look at that brand new shiny desk, but it's really just a mouse with, with a lot of knobs on it. So, uh, uh, you know, and, you know, we have the analog board and we still have tape machines. So we still use a lot of those things. So it hasn't changed that much for us, but we do keep up with everything. The, uh, yeah. A lot of people, you know, are coming from this digital, you know, being able to do things by yourself at home. And after they do that a couple of times, and then, then they, you know, it's that's really an arduous long process 
as opposed to getting people together and recording at the same time and having, you know, better equipment and a good sounding room where you don't have to turn off the refrigerator to do mm -hmm. your vocals and stuff like that. So, I mean, we get a lot of clients that maybe have done stuff at home and are ready to go back into a more professional situation, you know, where it's, it's really, it's incumbent on us to provide the, a great atmosphere and all the technical stuff. So, you know, our clients can work on the music instead of, you know, trying to remember to turn off the refrigerator. Speaking of which, how did your studio pivot when the COVID-19 pandemic made it harder to work with artists in person? Well, we, all of us that work out of our studio, Cowboy Technical Services, we all have, uh, the one of the good things about digital is that you can take a whole album, you know, home with you on a small hard drive. And we all have uh, digital setups in our homes. So for a while we were locked out of our, our studio by the state because it's a commercial building. So we continued working with our clients remotely uh, until we could get back into the studio and then we just followed the uh, protocols as they were provided, you know, like uh, cleaning and we bought a UV light and we had uh, sessions with, we limited the amount of people that could come into the studio uh, so we could have the social distancing. So we, we were we were locked out of the studio for a while, but I, I wouldn't say, I, I feel like that all of us, we've all had a really busy period during this. I mean, like I've made a bunch of albums. Tim's made a bunch of albums. Uh, so, you know, because it, when, the, when the pandemic first started, it was like, oh, well, okay, I can do this. I, to help other people, I could stay home and wear a mask and maybe play guitar a little more, you know, and before it got sidetracked into a political thing, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I don't think any of us saw it dragging on for this long. The idea that, that, you know, people would be asked something as simple as wearing a mask and want to fight about it. It's not, I really, that, didn't really register with me uh, a year and a half ago. What are among the albums you've produced over the last year? Oh, over the last year? Uh, let's see. I have a bunch. Uh, I did one with, uh, uh, let's see. I did, <laughs> I have to look on my shelf. Uh, let's see, Emily Duff. Razor Blade Smile. <laughs> Great cover. Uh, she, em, Emily Duff is a, a New York City artist, and she'd done another record with us. And during the COVID times, this is kind of interesting. She came in to the studio, and we worked with her, and she played and sang her songs by herself. And then we had my band 
back her up and she there's a piece of software called audio movers which is a plugin that you put into pro tools but it allows people to listen from wherever they are in real time high resolution so you know i had the band tracking and emily was sitting in the west village and we're in greenpoint and she's literally sitting in on the session and I've got my laptop there with a uh, chat window open, you know, and and uh, we'd finish a take and I'd go, how'd you like that thing in the third verse? And she would go, great, you know. So and we've used audio movers on all kinds of records. Uh, this this record, Escuela, A Sign from God, was a record that was done uh, completely remotely uh, with people sending in their uh tracks to me and then i was sort of like the uh uh shepherd you know like putting them all together i know tim's done this kind of thing too i did a record with a band called ward hayden and the outliers where i went during COVID. i went up to boston to record there and we were all masked up and uh you know, even like eating lunch outside so we wouldn't be in each other's space. Uh, those records are all out now. And uh, and it's been a really interesting time because it kind of, with all the overdubs, it kind of put us back into the 70s hmm. vibe of people playing individually. What's old is new again. Tim, how about you? Who have you been working with? Well, I did a record with a band called Heathcote Hill, which um, it was called Stories We Are Told. And we started it just before COVID. And then there was a big, there was a big gap, you know, and we just thought we got to get back into it. And it started, it ended up pretty much like that. I, I went to the, the, <clears throat> the principal writer's house and, uh, he had a singer came over and we would, you know, like I took our, we have a little remote rig cowboy does. So we, uh, I set, took it, set it up in a tent outside their rehearsal space, which was underneath the garage. And I recorded her. He was sitting next to me or six feet away outdoors with an acoustic guitar. And she was in the rehearsal place that has a glass window. And um, I recorded her vocal that way. And then it went to, we just passed that around. You know, I put drums on it, then sent it to the bass player. And we did. it came out, it came out very good, actually, that record. I think FUV's played it. I know part of it was on John Platt's Sunday morning show. Because uh, there was a song called Sunday Afternoon. And uh, another project I did was, it's pretty interesting. I'm still working on it. Uh, we started, the singer was in actually in Sausalito and he put down piano and vocal um, and uh, sent it to me. And then with between FaceTime and or Zoom and audio movers, I, I recorded the band to his tracks in our place. We started that and then one of them got COVID. So that was pushed back, you know. Yeah. But we, we finally got it back 
started working again. We continued that process. Um, and it was quite a bit of work, actually. It was it, it ended up being a double album. So we're still on it. So that's the band called Chappell. And, um, uh, they're, they're really good. My wife actually plays in the band. So how would you say your producing styles differ or perhaps they're very much alike? Yeah, I think I, ours are probably pretty similar because of our background, you know, uh, um, it, you know, Tim's a songwriter, you know, I'm more of a musician. I've been an active musician and an artist. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, my, there, there was a guy that I learned a lot from named Lou Whitney and, uh, it, from Springfield, Missouri. And he told me early on, he was like, you know, Roscoe, sometimes a producer could be just a guy who's actually done it before, you know, compared to the other guys who haven't. And uh, between that and having the experience of having sat in almost everyone's chair, you know, like I've been the singer, I've been the guitar player, I've done a little engineering, I've been in the rhythm section, you know, so when I'm working with the band, I kind of know that's sort of like what I would refer to as old school in the old days of what in corporate management or manager in a restaurant really the in the old way was if you're going to tell somebody how to do their job you should know how to do it yourself um so it's kind of that's where i'm coming from i think tim is pretty similar he has much more uh, deeper knowledge of the engineering tim anything you want to add to that oh well yeah i think we both you know really appreciate good songwriting and that's that's what always brought me into it in the first place you know i think uh i was never really a performer lately i've been playing a little uh a little more than i used to and i have a band that i record with but uh so uh, that's pretty much it you know i just loved songwriting and uh and i loved listening to records i didn't have like there was none of my peer group when i was young really wanted to play music so it was uh i just i got into the engineering thing because of that really and i actually started in electronic music and just gravitated to tape recorders so and that's pretty much where uh where i started what are your fondest memories from the last two decades of working in your studio oh boy <laughs> i don't know hey, well, I, go ahead timbo <laughs> to me like i always say like i'm just really happy when i'm in a studio <laughs> so it's like to pick one is really tough you know like i'll be you know, the world be uh, falling apart and I go into the studio and all of a sudden everything's fine. You know, I'm in the studio. So, wow, what's it? Uh, I can't well, pick one. You have one, Roscoe? I mean, it's like- Well, I don't, I don't have one either, but it's kind of like every day you get a chance to do something a little different. And uh, for me, you know, like, so, 
I think the most fun thing for me is every once in a while we'll work with an artist where maybe we'll do just one song in one day where the sing the songwriter could play the song for us and for the band and we listen to it and then we start working on the song and we cut the basic tracks then we get a finished vocal then we put some harmony on it then we're listening and you know like i got an idea for a keyboard play part you know somebody plays it the idea that you came in with just this song and then when you leave you know it used to be people would leave with a cassette or a cd but now we put it on dropbox or emailed it to them and everybody when they leave they've got it on their phone and they can listen to it when they take the subway home you know it's just really that's exciting you know like uh that's really exciting and almost every day that you go in there you have a chance to do something cool and uh and to turn somebody else on while you're doing it you know how have you seen the indie music scene in new york city evolve since the late 90s when you first opened the studio well <laughs> you know during that period i also owned a uh along with my partner jim marshall i owned a bar in the east village called the lakeside lounge that was on avenue b in between uh 10th and 11th and we had live music there for 16 years uh and just like the studio our, our biggest obstacle is what i refer to as the real estate monster you know which, which is just you know swallowing big money swallowing up everything restaurants bars you know you can only imagine how hard it is to find a place for a recording studio with the rents the way are they are our last place that we were in they came around to our building they came around to our space and said you know somebody's bought the building and you guys have to move out and we we found out oh it was uh Asian investors bought our building for $42 million. <laughs> you know, like when you're up against that kind of thing and it's that kind of, uh, I think that's the biggest challenge for music in New York City is just this uh, perverse money thing. You know, it makes it hard for clubs. And now with COVID, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, my bar closed five years ago or something uh as soon as that hit i was like wow man i, I you know imagine if i was responsible for all the employees uh but there's you know so many bars have closed and you know they're the venues the only ones that are have survived have been the big ones i mean we really don't know how it's going to shake out yet so I think the music scene, I mean, things like uh, Bandcamp, the idea that a band could put out a record virtually and get it out there for people. Um, that band, Bandcamp thing has been incredible. Uh, and also the way the company be behaved by doing those uh, once a month, no revenue Fridays where they didn't take a bite out of the band's thing. Uh, but the, the loss of the venues, I think, 
because that's where everything starts. And that I think that's going to be the, you know, maybe there'll be some great new small venues uh, that crop that pop up, but it's, it's harder all the time because of the economics here. So what's on the horizon for Cowboy Technical Services? Where do you want to see this go from here? Well, you want to just keep making music. That's it. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's like Roscoe was talking about getting in there and making a song from scratch and do it and helping people do it. I always said, I, I help people to, you know, fulfill their dream, you know, like they got something in their head and they want to hear it and come out of two speakers. And that's, you know, I just want to keep doing it. Eric? Well, yeah, I mean, every time it, it just comes back to that having fun when you go there. I mean, we, we still have fun with every piece. In addition to the uh, working with people, we have so much pride in our place keeping it going, you know, getting new equipment, upgrading and fixing stuff. I mean, we have, we have fun when we just go in there, we get a new piece of gear and we run it through its paces. I'm, I'm happy about our future in being able to have this place to, for people to get together and play. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, George. Tim, thank you. Thank you, George. Eric Amble and Tim Hatfield are the owners of Cowboy Technical Services in Brooklyn. For more information, visit cowboytechnical.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Borarki. Thank you so much for listening. Our closing music is courtesy of bensound.com. 